Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We are so glad you've joined us today. If you have been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks for joining us this week, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Amen. Well, that's a, a recap of last weekend, in case you missed out, Salt and Light Conference 2019. By the way, we announced dates for next year, and so if you missed out, uh, and you want to get the dates in, it's November 6 to 8, 2020. And uh, we're going to believe God to do great things. But here's the beauty. Last week is in the books, and here we are today. And God's not done. With that truth and that reality, could we take the most, could we make the most of this moment together this morning? You know, in thinking about last weekend... Um, I got to, my father-in-law, who doesn't attend our church, he attends a sister church, said, you know, those were like world-class speakers, uh, another caliber, and I'm like, how am I going to stand up here a week later and, uh, and you know, compare, so to speak. Uh, but listen, it, the kingdom of God is not about comparison. It's not about trying to wear the shoes of somebody else, but to be confident in your assignment and in your calling and so this morning, I'm not going to try to sound like Jedediah. I can't process as quickly as he can. I'm not going to try to be funny and uh, as intelligent as Pastor Mark was last weekend, uh, but a brilliant mind. And today, I'm just going to be John Manna. And, and I'm just going to share the word of God. You know, the joke, Vince, I didn't want to make the joke because it's my own name, but I have fresh manna for you today. Um, and to be honest, the, the joke further extends because we're going to read in a second out of 1 Samuel chapter 14 and the character's Jonathan. So uh, we're going to get there in a second, but um, God has a sense of humor too. There are moments where it's serious uh, and there are moments where God just smiles down and it's okay to laugh a bit. But I want you to know church is not a time meant just for you to endure. Oh, I can't wait till it's done. But that we can enjoy our time together. And so, uh, you know, I remember there was a, a specific moment in my life. Uh, this, the year was 2006 and I was in Montreal. And Priscilla, her sister and a friend decided to come on the August Civic Long Weekend. And, and actually, it wasn't Priscilla. Like, we weren't really at that point in our relationship yet. It was more her sister who said, hey, we have a, a weekend uh, off. The Monday's off in Ontario. Could we come and you sh- kind of show us around town and stuff? So I was like, okay. Um, you know, I just thought of all the cool places to take someone in Montreal or a group of people. And so we ended up on Mount Royal. I believe it was a Saturday night. And in Mount Royal, there's this big lookout where you see the downtown. If we have the picture, could you put it up? Because this is the view from Mount Royal. That's not the picture I took. Uh, but, but that's kind of the view you have where it's like you're on this lookout, you're on a mountain, and you see the whole downtown. It was beautiful. But here's the interesting thing. That I was single, Priscilla was single, and I was just praying, watching and praying. That's what my pastor taught me growing up. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. And so Priscilla was kind of standing here where this uh, podium is, the pulpit. And she was looking out. And I was kind of here, kind of looking. And when my eyes were scanning, and she now was in the foreground, I, I can't explain, um, in a sense, the voice. Because it wasn't audible. No one else heard it. But it was very loud and clear internally. And as my eyes locked on her as the target, the voice said to me, Get ready, because this is going to be for a lifetime. And you'd think like I was like floating on a cloud. No, the weight of that word hit me like a ton of bricks. It was like, boom. And the responsibility of what that meant was was very heavy. And, And of course, the natural response was, like, I've had this big revelation Lord, because I knew it was him, it wasn't me. I said, but how is she going to find out? (laughs) Right? Like this big thing just happened in my heart. And here's Priscilla, her sister, her other friend. And now I'm thinking, oh my goodness. Like I was awkward, I think, the rest of the weekend until they left town. And, And now I had to wrestle with, God, what do I do with this revelation or this word? Now what do I do? How do I respond to all of this? And... The, the reality is, 
it required a response, right? If, if God told you something that you were waiting and watching and praying for, and, and you, God kind of speaks, what are you going to do with the word? It requires a response. Not just any response, but I would submit to you it's the appropriate, the appropriate response. And the response is faith. My title this morning is The Appropriate Response. And the appropriate response, church, is faith. When God speaks, and Jedediah said this last weekend, when the Holy Spirit speaks, you cannot respond in logic. You must respond in faith. When the Holy Spirit, so that was the voice of of God speaking to me. No one else heard it. So my appropriate response wasn't logic, but God, how? She lives six hours away in Toronto. How is this all going to work? I could have reduced that big revelation to just that. But the appropriate response is faith. And so if you have your Bible and if you are able this morning, would you stand with me as we honor God's word? We're going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 14. We have it on the screen behind me. And I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation. 1 Samuel chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. And here's what it says. One day, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. But Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Gibeah around the pomegranate tree at Migron. Among Saul's men was Ahijah, the priest, who was wearing the ephod, the priestly vest. Ahijah was the son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord, who had served, under, uh, served at Shiloh. No one realized that Jonathan had left the Israelite camp. To reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozes and Sanei. The cliff on the north was in front of Michmash, and the one on the south was in front of Jeba. Let's go across to the outpost of those pagans. Another translation reads, those uncircumcised people. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, perhaps the Lord will help us. Get this, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. Do what you think is best, the armor bearer replied. Get this, I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for Jonathan and his faith, but Lord, also for his armor bearer who is with him through it all. Lord, I pray that you would awaken a faith response in us today, because this is the appropriate response. And God, I pray that you would ignite faith in this room. Faith is here, but I pray that it would be ignited in each and every one of us today. Lord, anoint my mind, my lips, and my heart. Lord, we thank you for the extra hour of sleep for those who got it, for those who have kids and they were awake early. God, I pray that you would give us extra strength to listen and to lean in to what you want to say today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All the parents said... Amen. My kids were up at 4.30 this morning. Um, my wife was the, the warrior because uh, she's, she's making a face at me. Uh, but she was the warrior taking care of the, the, the mess at 4.30 in the morning so that I could stand up here today. Before I forget, many of you have asked for these. You say, what are these? These are invite cards. You want to talk about what God's doing in your life and let people know about what church you attend. It's a simple card. It just says, welcome home. And it says service time, join us 10.30 a.m. has our website and Instagram and it it just says connect night Fridays at 7.30. Simple card, um, just depicting what God is doing on the inside of this building as we gather. But how many of you agree that we got to take it outside? Amen. So just a a little tool to help you do that. As you go into your week, you can grab them. We have hundreds and hundreds of them printed. And you could grab them at guest services as you head back to work. I just didn't want to forget about that. But we're talking about Jonathan and his armor bearer and the appropriate response. Now, you know, we just read a portion of what's going on here. But I'm going to fill in the gap for you to the chapter before in chapter 13 of 1 Samuel 
because Israel as a people and as an army are actually in a very rough spot where we find them. Samuel just finished reprimanding King Saul and proclaimed that his kingdom was coming to an end. What he thought, I'm going to offer sacrifices, but God said, I don't care about the sacrifices, I want your obedience. And so Samuel basically said, this is it. God's done with you, but he's going to find, he's already found a man after his own heart, which was King David, as we know. He was already anointed, but now he was ready to be appointed. So this is where King Saul is at. And their army, which was thousands and thousands of soldiers, was now reduced to, as scripture said that we read, 600 men. So you can't say that this was the best of times for King Saul and his troops. This was probably the worst of times with the worst news that he had just heard. And so they're, they're not ready to fight. They're at a place of, of hiding. They're not at the forefront saying, yeah, for, for king and country, for God. No, they're, they're at a place of hiding saying, we have no idea what to do with these Philistines now. And Saul, instead of leading, he's retreating. He's, he's sulking in the moment with the reality that he blew it all. And God said, you're done. Now I'm going to get someone who's my choice, not the people's choice. And this is where we find, but I just want to read verse 22 of chapter 13 for a second. It says this, so on the day of the battle, none of the people of Israel had a sword or a spear except for Saul and Jonathan. So to make matters worse, not only are they at this low point morally, but the Philistines who had the ability and the, the, the guys who were skilled with iron to make the swords said, we're not sending any workers your way. So they, they couldn't even make swords or sharpen swords or weapons. So basically, King Saul, who we know he's not ready to use it, he's hiding. And then Jonathan, he's the other character that has a sword. It's interesting that scripture would point that out. But there's a reason, because why? We get to chapter 14, which we read together. And there's something brewing in Jonathan. There's something stirring in his heart that is different than everyone else in his father and the 600 men. And in light of that, nobody is expecting an Israelite victory, right? No one's thinking, we're going to do this, we're going to win this, we're going to move forward, we're going to advance, and we're going to take the Philistines. No one's thinking that, but two things changed the situation dramatically. Are you ready for it? Jonathan's courageous faith, number one. And number two, God's will to give Israel the victory. So Jonathan had the courageous faith to do what no one else was willing to do. But the second part is God was willing to give them the victory. And the reality is, if Jonathan wouldn't have stepped forward, they would have never known. They would have never known that God was still with them, that God was still able to deliver them and to fight the battle for them. But check out Jonathan's words. We're going to unpack this and go through it. Verse 1, he says to his armor bearer, come on, let's go. Right? What did I just describe? Is this where everyone's at? The 600 men, King Saul? No. Quite the opposite. They're hiding in holes. They're, they don't want to be found. They don't want to be seen. And they're afraid of the Philistines. And yet, Jonathan, for one reason or another, the faith inside of him is ignited to the point where he says, come on, let's go. Come on, let's go. And I don't know what needs to get ignited in your life or what thing you're kind of retreating and, and sitting and hiding from. But I believe today as the Spirit of the Lord would speak to you and to your situation that there has to be this come on, let's go. Come on, let's go. We, we, it's, we're done in this season. Come on, let's go. And here's the reality. Why did Jonathan go alone? And when I say alone, it's with his armor bearer, of course. Why did Jonathan go alone and attack the Philistines? It's a very real question. And as I've just been researching and digging for, you know, the why. Like what, what could have possibly been there? Here are some answers. He could have been weary of the long, hopeless standoff in the battle. It's just like, oh, I forget this. I'm so fed up. I'm just going to go. But if you do it on your own impulse, you have to be careful, right? If God's not in it, you, ha you have to be careful because it's just your strength versus the Philistines and they're way stronger, right? So you have to be careful. 
Don't just get fed up of this season and say, I'm fed up of this so, right? That's not what's happening here. So make sure in your own life, you don't just get fed up and, and call it quits, so to speak, just to move on to something else because you don't know what that something else might be. And, and chances are it might not be good if it's not God leading you there. The second one is, he trusted God to give his people victory and wanted to act on that trust. If you ask me, I lean towards this thought where he said, you know what? If God is who he said he is, why not do this? Why can't we do this? And then the third reason was maybe he was just frustrated at his father's own inaction. His father was Saul and he was just tired of waiting. Or the fourth reason, he also knew that the number of Philistines was no problem for God. So there are a couple of faith statements in there. And then there are a couple of practical ones. Um, but if, if you're anything like me, I would rather move on faith than on practical. I'd, I'd rather move on faith than what's most logical to me. Why? Because what's logical is not to go and try to fight the Philistines. Logic says stay home. Stay, stay with the 600 guys and continue your pity party. That's what logic would tell you, but, but something is stirring and brewing in Jonathan. You know what's interesting? Uh, it says in verse 1, but Jonathan did not tell his father. It's interesting. Um, there is an honor code, children in the room, um, that we are to honor our parents, our father and mother. We're supposed to do that. In this case, you know, why didn't he tell his dad? Well, we could maybe conclude perhaps he thought his father wouldn't let him go. And, you know, when the word comes to you, and maybe there's faith stirring, you have to understand if God's doing it in you, only you are aware of it at this point. And you might go to people and seek help and share this big thing with them, share this revelation that you had, but maybe they're not ready for it because God didn't tell them, he told who? You. And so there are some things that no one else is anointed for to do but you. And so when God gives you the assignment, you have to make sure that you're the one who's ready to carry it out. If you seek for approval from every single person, you might never get it. And then what happens to the word? It dies and it dries up inside of you. Listen, Jonathan, there was something stirring in his heart that maybe if he would have said, hey, dad, I know that this is the case and we only have 600 guys and, and I, maybe he didn't even know that he was being demoted as the king, but maybe his dad would say, are you crazy, boy? You're the only one with the sword besides me and I ain't going, <laughs> so don't think you're going to go and win this battle. Think about it, right? And so he leaves, but he doesn't even consult or tell his dad, who is the king. And generally, you wouldn't go out and do something on your own unless you were given the order in a military context to do anything, right? And so no one's moving. But Jonathan thought, this is a good day to go and to conquer the Philistines. What faith was arising in his heart? Verse 2 tells us that Saul and his 600 men were camped. And, and we could stay here and talk about it, but it says that they're hanging around the pomegranate tree. And it doesn't sound like they're getting ready for war. It sounds like they're like, hey guys, might as well just make the best of this, right? Might as well just kind of get along and have fun. Not that that's what was happening, but in a sense, we've given up all hope. And we're just going to do our own thing here in the midst of, oh, we'll see what, what happens. We're gonna, we don't know. But they're just camped around. And in verse 3, here's an interesting thing. Among Saul's men was Ahijah, the priest, who was wearing the ephod. Now, you could just read that. And, but I'm like, why is verse 3 there? Why? Like, they're at the pomegranate tree. I get that. But why does it mention the priest and the fact that there's the ephod there? And I'll tell you why. The ephod was not only a garment, but as seen throughout the, book of, the books of Samuel, first and second, that um, it was also used for 
oracular purposes, for oracles, that they could consult with the Lord. I don't ask me how that looked or happened, but there was something about it. And if you read through the ephod, through the books of First and Second Samuel, you'll see that Saul or David, if they had to question God on something or ask for his wisdom, that they could do that and use the ephod to access God in that way. And, and to hear a word or to know God's will. So what does that tell you and me? Is that as they're sitting there, camped around the pomegranate tree, the priest is there and they have access through the ephod to inquire of the Lord. Lord, what is your will concerning this, this battle and this situation? They had the opportunity. Saul had the opportunity, but he never does. And I'm just wondering in the room today... How many, of there, how many of us are here that we have access to his throne room because of the finished work of the cross, but we just don't inquire of the Lord concerning the things that pertain to daily living. And God is saying, I'm here, I'm ready, I have a word for you, but you're, you're not even listening or looking for me. You don't even inquire of me anymore. And you see, back to my story where I was on Mount Royal in Montreal, you have to understand, Pastor Mark, by the way, we're going to post the sessions eventually on YouTube, uh, the videos from conference, and I know that if you were not able to attend, you're going to be blessed by hearing it. Um, so we're going to get those done, and if anyone wants to help with video editing, come and talk to me because I would love your help so we can get those out. But check this out. Pastor Mark said on his first date, him and his wife kind of set the wedding date. Over a cup of coffee. Those of you who were here, it was like mind-blowing. But the highlight in that, when he heard the Lord, the, the voice speak to him, he said, how do you know I wasn't crazy? He said, I had a habit of listening and positioning myself to hear the voice of the Lord. So when I heard it, I knew it was God. The same thing is true of me. When I was there and I, I was looking at Priscilla and she, got, she was locked, she was the target, and I heard the voice, I knew it wasn't just my voice. It wasn't like a good idea up here. But it was like a voice that came that wasn't around. But I, it's a voice that I know to be the voice of the Lord in my life. But to be honest, I've never heard it as clear as I did that day. But that's the thing. And when you, when you receive a word like that, you have to act on it. But here's the thing. God wants to speak. But you have to position yourself in that way. You have to posture yourself to say, God... I'm listening. Tonight at 6.30 is a great opportunity. You might say, but I don't know how. Come. We're going to be in this atmosphere of prayer. Sometimes we pray loud all together. Sometimes it's quiet and we spread out all across this room. But it's to teach us to listen, to slow down, to pause, to be in God's presence, and to hear his voice speaking. Sometimes it'll be a, a voice for the church where it's a prophetic word. It's loud and everyone hears it. Sometimes it'll be a voice that God whispers to you. And it's a word for you, not for the church, not for the corporate family of God. And so you need to position yourself to hear. And what's interesting is Saul had access through the ephod to inquire of the Lord. God, what is your will concerning this situation? That's why verse 3 is there. But he never does. It tells us even who he is, the priest who is related to, tracing all the way to Eli the priest who is right at the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 1. And yet, they didn't inquire of the Lord and they didn't find out what his will was. But on the other side of that, there goes Jonathan with his armor bearer. And no one realized that Jonathan had left the camp. You see, people oftentimes are so caught up in their present situation that God could be moving and doing something here and everyone else totally misses out. Just to backtrack to conference again, God was st stirring our hearts as a church. Not just, there were other people from other churches, but when our preachers spoke, like they, they deposited prophetic seed into our house. One of the prayers that Jedediah prayed at the close of conference was more buckets, more room, make, more, make space for God, make space, more room. How do I know? Because I re-listened to it over and over again. Because if it's a word for the house, we have to act and respond. The, what's the appropriate response? Faith. Right? I'm going to ask it again. What's the appropriate response? Faith. 
So I'm getting, I, I, I need to make sure I'm getting it here, not here, here. And so Jonathan is daring enough. God's moving here, but he's not even showing up there. Why? They had the same equal opportunity, but they didn't tap into the opportunity that they had. We have an opportunity today to hear from heaven, but we have to tap into it and say, Lord, I'm listening. Holy Spirit, speak. Holy Spirit, speak a word for me, for my situation today. There was significance in the ephod, but they didn't make good use of it. And there goes Jonathan. And verse 4, it says that to reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs. And just for a moment, I want to just highlight the importance of understanding. When you step out in faith, that's the appropriate response. It doesn't mean it's always going to be an ascent. Right? It doesn't mean, yeah, I'm climbing the hill of God, the mountain of God. It's not always, and obviously going uphill takes work, it takes effort. But in this case, they had to go down. And down doesn't always represent a good place. Down sometimes means like I'm taking two steps backward, but God, I'm stepping out in faith. I'm, I'm giving away my money, but I, I have these bills to pay. And, and there's this kind of moment where we step out in faith. We're thinking, yes, it's me and God. But the first place they have to start going is down. And they have to start stepping down. And sometimes your step of faith will bring you between a rock and a hard place even. It doesn't mean it's not the step of faith. Listen, Sometimes the step of faith brings you into a place where you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. But instead of progress, it might look like you're digressing. Maybe it's not up, it's down first. Maybe it's not first, it's last. Maybe it's not above yet, it's still beneath. And you have to understand that if you're stepping out in faith, you have to still continue to take steps. You know, You have to understand today, and I pray that we can get around this idea that not everything is going to be roses. Not everyone's going to agree with your step or your position of faith. If people don't get it or they don't have a faith outlook, they're just going to respond with what? Logic. And and to someone who's looking with logic, faith is foolish. But hey, if you're here and you're a believer, guess what? It takes faith to put your life in in Christ and make him Lord and Savior. But guess what? It takes equal amounts of faith to also believe in a miracle. Some of us, we have faith, saving faith, where it's like, yes, Jesus is my Savior, and I'm going to go to heaven. But you lack the faith to believe him for miracles or for breakthrough or or for blessing even in your life. But it takes faith. So if you have saving faith today, let it translate into the faith you require to see God move the mountain, to see him win and fight the battle for you. And this is what Jonathan is doing. He's like, I don't care the journey it's going to take to get there, but I'm stepping out in faith. Why? Because it's the appropriate response. And so verse 6, we get to his faith statement. And and I want to read it again because it's so powerful. He says this, Let's go across to the outpost of those pagans. Jonathan said this to his armor bearer. Perhaps the Lord will help us. Here's the the faith. For nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle, whether he has many warriors or only a few. And what's interesting about that, my translation, the NLT says pagans. Another translation might say uncircumcised men. But get this, they were literally uncircumcised, by the way. But there's another further application and understanding to that in this context. The word is used here to mean that they were outside the covenant between Yahweh and Israel. So you have to understand that Jonathan wasn't just standing because it was a good idea. But Jonathan was also standing because he was still in covenant with Yahweh. He was still in covenant, and if you're still in covenant, guess what? You cannot break the promises of the covenant. And so God is ready and willing to fight the battle. Now, what about Saul and the 600? We already spent time talking about them. 
But now what about the pagans? What about these uncircumcised men? Guess what? They're outside of this covenant that Jonathan and Yahweh are a part of. And so you have to understand when you stand and take steps of faith, even if it's a battle that's ready in front of you, you have to understand if you are walking and living in covenant with the Lord, that he is with you every step of the way. And you have to understand there's an enemy of your soul and he is real, but greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And so we have to understand the faith mindset says, Lord, it's big. The giant is big. The facts are real. But God, you're still stronger. You're still greater. And, and you know, I think oftentimes we dumb down how big God is and how mighty God is and how great God is and how much God loves you and how much he is not against you, for you. And, and we, we dumb it down to just logic. And we just go, oh my goodness. It's hard, or it's Monday, but I'm, I'm tired. I'm tired of just fighting every Monday to Friday at work and, and going through the motions. It's hard, and, and I'm tired. I get that. But could you also acknowledge how great God is? Can you also maybe forget for a moment those things? They're real. They're facts. I'm not saying that it's not true. They could be very real in your life. But could we just acknowledge who God is and allow faith to be our response? It's the appropriate response. One of the things at the close of conference, uh, which, which I heard Jedediah pray, and it'll be on the video once we post it, um, is he said something very interesting. And he prefaced it by saying, I don't normally say this in this context of praying over, uh, they, they were praying over Priscilla and I, but they called for the rest of the church. Uh, to come around us, and he said, if it's not faith that's going to come out of your mouth, and he, he wasn't just speaking to Priscilla and I, but to the church body, he said, if it's not faith that's going to come out of your mouth, then don't say anything at all. And he said, I just feel the Lord wants me to press this hard, that if faith is not going to come out of your mouth, then don't say anything at all until it's going to be faith coming out of your mouth. And, and as believers, we have to take that now to our own personal context and life to say, you know what, I can gripe and complain about my circumstances all day long if you really give me that chance. But the reality is the facts are the facts and they cannot change and I cannot change them, but my faith can because my God can. And I have to learn to faith the facts. I preached the message on that title right there. But Jedediah, because I told you, I pulled so much from last weekend. And God's just been opening up my understanding as well in many areas. But he said to us uh, one night when we were out for dinner, and I think Nunzio, you were there with us. And he was talking about what he does with One Nation One Day. And he said, when we go into... Uh, a nation like Peru, which they did this past June, there's a big lead up before they actually go in there and try to win, win that nation for Christ and do that, the, the serve the, the communities there. But he said, you know what, we go in and we meet with government and we meet with leaders in the religious spheres. And, and he said, you know, all day long when I do that, I just hear facts, 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 how bad it is, how bad the crime is. And I hear how, you know, just facts all day long. And he goes, you know what we do at the end of the day? We slap faith onto all of those facts. He said, all day long, this is what we hear. And we just let it come. Tell me all the facts about your nation. Come on, t tell us. And when they hear that, he said, now we slap faith onto all of those facts. Today, you might have a long list of facts, and they represent your present circumstance or situation, today the appropriate response is faith, that we have to slap faith onto the facts. And so that's our appropriate response. But listen, if you're risk averse, you're naturally going to struggle with this. If you don't like taking the first step unless you know the outcome, you're, it's not going to be easy for you, and I get that. It takes just as much faith, we already said it, to trust God for a miracle as it does to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So listen, if you have faith to believe God can save you and you have an eternity in heaven, 
have faith to believe him for everything else in this place. And I want to share as we come around this theme today, I want to just share three important things. What helps us respond in follow through faith? There are three things that help us respond in follow through faith. And here they are. The first one is character. Whose character? God's character. That we need to know the character and heart of God. And you see, Jonathan, he knew. He knew who God is. And he said it in verse 6. He's like, we're going to do this. And perhaps, he did say perhaps, and maybe that was his humanity speaking. But, but check out his words again. Perhaps the Lord will help us. But then he qualifies his statement. And he said in verse 6, For nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. So what was he doing there? He was rehearsing the faithfulness of God. He was rehearsing the character and nature of his God. He was saying, in this moment, I'm not going to put my trust in my father, Saul, or his 600 men. Instead, I'm going to put my trust and my faith in the character and nature of who God is. He is a God who never fails. And he is a God who wins the battle. Nothing can stop the Lord. Can somebody say amen? And so my question for you is, do you know the character and nature of God enough to trust him? It's just a question. You have to keep it, and only you can answer it. The second thing that helps us respond is your circle. Your circle. And what do I mean by that? The circle of influence that you have around you. You see, I didn't spend much time talking about the armor bearer yet, because he's for this moment. You see, he didn't go to his dad He didn't go talk to the 600 men who were dejected, sad, and just hiding around, you know, making the best of that situation, perhaps around the pomegranate tree. But he talked to his armor bearer. And I love the the idea of of his armor bearer, not because I want an armor bearer. You know, I actually was in a service once where there was a a person on the platform holding a towel for the, the minister and when he went like this, the towel showed up in his hand, and he went like this. And then when he, I don't, like they had a coat or something, and then the water showed up, and, and they just stood there the whole time. And I just thought, I appreciate the servant's heart, but it was so distracting. I was just trying to listen to the preacher, right? Um, I don't want to get sidetracked with that thought. But we're back to the armor bearer, because... Sometimes we got to check our circle, amen? And, and we got we to gotta limit or, or, so to speak, control who we give access and permission in our lives. And it's important, you know, for a second, let's look at Nathan and David. This is fast-forwarding a little bit, but follow for a second. David sinned, but there was Nathan the prophet. And Nathan the prophet had access to the king And had permission to speak into his life. That was his God-given role. He was God's mouthpiece. And so he worked closely with the king. But when David sinned as the king, I mean, who's going to go and approach the king? (laughs) Who could tell him he did wrong in the sight of God? And so Nathan the prophet was that man to step into that circle and say, Hey, Nathan, uh, hey, hey, David, this this is not cool. This is not good. And... We need people in our lives who will guide us to truth, who will point us. Yes, there's the Holy Spirit, but you need to have, I'm not saying you need like 35 people and like they're your, your Instagram followers or like anything like that. I'm just saying there, are, there have to be people in your life, here in the church even, that you allow to come. And it's, it's more like iron sharpening iron. Hey, you know what? I noticed you were a little short with me or you, you were short with someone else. Is, is everything okay? Or, you know, the way I heard you speaking is not cool. That's, that doesn't reflect the character and nature of God, right? And, and we need to allow that. Iron sharpens iron. What is it? Right? There has to be the people in our lives that are able to sharpen us for the good. Too many of us, we just get offended and we say, forget that person. I'm not their friend. <laughs> but, but we need those people. And here's the other thing. Don't try to be in someone's circle if you haven't been invited either. Because if you up with your sword to sharpen them, 
they might be like, why are, you, why, why are you trying to cut me up, you know, with those words or the correction? And they might not receive it. So there has to be a relationship of trust that's established where it's like, hey, you know what? Uh, we need to do this. And, and I give you permission if you ever see me. And I say it to the church. If you ever hear me preaching something that's not in Scripture, that's maybe just my opinion, then please come and talk to me. I'm giving you permission. But guess what? Before you will get to me, I have board members that are spirit-filled men. I have Pastor Miguel that they'll probably have a conversation with me even before you'll find me uh, if, if we veer off. So there's accountability here in the house and in the leadership. But in your own life and in my own life, I need to make sure that I surround myself not just with anybody, but with godly people who are going to push me to the next level in my walk with God. There are times where you will have to go with people where you're bringing them up to a different level, but then you need relationships that will help pull you up to the next level for your own life. So that's very practical this morning for you, but you need to know your circle, and you got to check your circle at the same time. But verse 7, here's the response of the armor bearer. Because Jonathan's saying, you know, God will do this. Perhaps he's with us. Let's go. And, and verse 7, he says, do what you think is best. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. Man, that's a good armor bearer. That's a good friend. I'm with you completely. Do whatever you think is best. And you see, the armor bearer didn't squash the faith inside of Jonathan. He spurred it on. He said, come on, let's go. If this is what you're sensing, I'm with you 100%. Let's go. You know how they fought? He's, Jonathan starts going up the hill. When, you know, they had to go down, but then they had to go up. And the armor bearer, he said, stay close behind me. Jonathan's taking care of what's in front. The armor bearer's taking care of what's behind. And so, there, you know, the angles were covered circumspectly. The full circumference was covered. They, their angles were covered. Why? Because they worked together. And in your walk and journey with God, the walk of faith, the response of faith, you need to have a circle that's going to spur you on to say, yes, come on, let's, let's step in faith into this season. As a church, I want you to know that uh, the whole idea of conference was a huge step of faith for our church, for our, our leadership, the, the board members, and for myself. Because I said, Lord, is this just me or is this you? But I knew it was him, so I, we had to do it. And I'm grateful for the board who said, Pastor, if this is what God is speaking into you for our church, then we're, we're going to do this. Did we know how much it's going to cost? No. Did we know if people would show up? Not really. Did we know uh, what the outcome, spiritual outcome would be in everyone's lives? No. But what we did know is we have to take this step of faith, trusting that God is the one who's leading us this way, but he's the one who's also going to meet us there on the other side. Can someone say amen? amen? Come on. The appropriate response is faith. The third thing that helps us respond is follow through. <laughs> follow through. Faith in and of itself is great, but the Bible does say faith without works is dead. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. So the, the element of faith is present. It's, it's there. And I believe that faith is here in this room. But we need a follow-through faith. We need a faith that doesn't just get excited, but that follows through. You see, if all last weekend was is hype, we've missed the boat, church. We missed the whole point. It's not hype, it's hope for what God is doing in our house in your life, in your family. We have a great hope and expectation that God is moving in this place. And follow through faith is this. Look, at, look with me at verse 13. So they climbed up using both hands and feet. They, they were going at it. They were going for it with both hands and feet. And the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed those who came behind them. They killed some 20 men in all, and their bodies were scattered over about half an acre. And I want to read verse 15. Suddenly panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including even the outposts and the raiding parties. And just then an earthquake struck. By the way, 
who causes the earthquake. <laughs> it wasn't, and everyone was terrified. You see, suddenly panic broke out in the Philistine army in the camp where they were. My, my question to you is, what would happen if you stepped out in faith today? What would happen if you stepped out in faith? I'm wondering if your faith response would stun and confuse the enemy of your soul. They're saying, you know what, this is the bad news, but today I'm turning it around in Jesus' name. What would the enemy think? He would be confused. He's like, why is she praising me when she has cancer diagnosis? Why is she so happy in the house of God today? Or uh, why is he giving an offering even though he just lost his job? Or why is she serving in kids' ministry even when she, she just had an accident or an injury? It doesn't make sense. But our response, and it's the appropriate response, is always say it. Faith. Faith. But it's a faith that follows through. It's not a faith that just sits back. It's a faith that follows through. If you take one step, might as well take two. Amen? If you've taken two, might as well take three and then four as well. Well, we're not going to stop at just one step of faith. And as a church and as a house, I just want to say this, that uh, I know God is working in the atmosphere. You know what? I, I, I feel God's kind of showing me some things is that faith is not absent in this room. It's present. What's missing is that we have to ignite it. Faith is here, but it has to be ignited in the room today. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. I'm going to ask if Catherine, you would come back to the piano. I want to read to you as she comes up here three more verses from our text. Because I want to show you what happens. And it's so critical that we understand this church for your own life, for the battle, for the journey, for follow through faith. Look with me, verse 20. I think we have it on the screen. Then Saul and all his men. So let me just fill it in. There's the earthquake. All this stuff is stirring in the atmosphere. But here's the beautiful response from God's people now. Remember, they were at the pomegranate tree just hiding, not wanting to move, not wanting to do anything. But because of the response of one person, Jonathan, and of course with his armor bear, stuff is stirring now. Stuff is happening. God's showing up. I want to show you what verse 20 says. Then Saul and all his men rushed out to the battle and found the Philistines killing each other. There was terrible confusion everywhere. Even the Hebrews who had previously gone over to the Philistine army revolted and joined in with Saul, Jonathan, and the rest of the Israelites. Likewise, the men of Israel who were hiding in the hill country of Ephraim joined the chase when they saw the Philistines running away. And here's the conclusion of this whole story in verse 23. So the Lord saved Israel that day. And the battle continued to rage even beyond Beth-Avon. The Lord saved Israel when? That day. That day. Man, they had one sword. Two if you count Saul's, but they had one sword, Jonathan's. And he said, let's go and see if God's going to show up. Listen, I don't know why you came to church today. Maybe that's your, you just said, I'm going to show up to church today and just see if God's going to show up. My friend, I want you to know you're in the right place today. That you're in the right atmosphere. It's an atmosphere of faith where anything is possible. And you say, yeah, but I've been battling this sickness for years, Pastor. Well, I want to say the appropriate response is still faith. You might say, yeah, but I, I get the whole, that's, you're supposed to say that. That was the, the message today. But today, I want to submit this to all of us in the room, that we need follow through faith. Not just to get excited because you heard a word once. We have to follow through and move on faith today. And if you're in your seat today, I'm going to make one simple call. If you need God to move and, you, and you're standing on His word, on His promise, you need to come to this altar and we're going to believe in faith together. We're going to stand on the word. And here's the thing. We're going to follow through. And it's going to take one step 
two step, three steps of faith, four steps, five steps of faith, however many steps it's going to take you to get down to this altar call. But I believe as you follow through now on the word that you've heard, that God is ready to respond. But I only have this left. They only had one sword. And whether there are many or few, God can still do it. Whether your faith is big or it's as small as a mustard seed, it's still enough to move the mountain in your life. So if you need prayer today, not just say a little prayer, but breakthrough prayer, we're going to stay and we're going to pray. And, and I want to encourage you to come to these altars today. Maybe some of you, you're coming to stand in the gap. And it's for someone who's not here, but they should be. And in faith, you're going to walk to this altar today and say, I'm standing here in faith because I believe God is going to move in the name of Jesus. Don't wait for me to invite you again, church. These altars are open. You come in the name of Jesus and let faith be today your appropriate response in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. The God of miracles. The God of miracles. Lord, you're the God of more than enough. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus for faith that's being ignited here and now in this room. For the faith that is here, God, we turn it on. We ignite it today in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, we speak to dry bones come alive today, God. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I know that there are these that have come, but I, I feel impressed in my spirit. There's enough faith in this room that is there anyone here that you've been diagnosed with a sickness but it's been over a year meaning that it's a year but you still carry this sickness or this disease I just show me your hand if there's anyone here and I don't want to know necessarily what it is I see a hand at the back I see a hand here at the front and there are hands here at the front and and I feel the spirit of God saying today that it's not the condition that you have to carry for the rest of your life. I sense the Spirit wants to put His finger right now on your situation. And He wants to heal you, not just in that space and in that part of your body, but to the uttermost. That He wants to touch you. And I think of oil that pours, and as it would cover someone, it doesn't just... You know, if I pour oil over someone's head right here at the altar, it wouldn't just stay on the hair. It would drip and flow and saturate everything, every part of, of her body till it hit the floor. And I believe the oil of God's anointing is here in the room today that there's way more than enough that we can draw from today in the name of Jesus. So here's what I want you to do. If that's you, lift your hand. And here's what I'm going to ask the church to do. Look around. And find people whose hands are raised. If you are full of faith today to believe that God can do it, turn around, look around, and go and pray for these people. Because we're going to see heaven respond today in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life, and we want to hear it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westonroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.